Welcome everyone to Politics Express, the Post Writers Politics Podcast. I'm your host, the Post Writers Politics Editor, Lars Emerson. This week we have some special guests joining to talk about all the big news out of Florida in the last month. We'll be talking about the quote, don't say gay bill, which is now a law, Disney's response or lack thereof, and then broadly about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Then we'll end of course with our In Our Lifetime segment. So let's dive in. With me today to discuss, first of all, is the Post Writers Editor-in-Chief, Mike Levito. Hey, Mike. Hi. And then our two guests are the hosts of the With a Gay Twist podcast. They describe their podcast as a regular podcast, but with a gay twist, run by two homosexuals with graduate degrees in law and public policy who discuss everything from Congress to drag race. So welcome Mason Dixon and Zachary Penn. So glad to be here. Uh, to hey, the everybody. streets listening, hi, how are you? <laughs> to, the, to the gays listening, mama, break out the china because we're going to spill some tea. We're, just want to make sure your audience real. Was, yeah, let's <laughs> just make sure your audience is really prepared for this. That's that's fair. It's it's good good to have you guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Really excited. For sure. Good to have everyone. So let's start at the top. Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis signed HB 1557, which was dubbed the Don't Say Gay Bill on Monday, March 28th. I'll, I'll pivot to Mason and Zach, one of whom actually lives in Florida, I believe. Uh, <laughs> my, my condolences. What's the deal with this law? What does it say? What's it about? Yeah. So first, thank you for your condolences. I cannot wait to get out of the state. <laughs> the, the tomfoolery that we are dealing with down here is just something else this year but into law um so just so that everyone is kind of on the same page as far as listeners are concerned the way that the thing runs through legislation is that the bill is introduced into the house it goes through its voting process it was passed in the house on february 24th a vote of 69 yeas to 47 nays and then it gets passed on to the senate the senate then goes into their review process any type of amendments are entered in they vote on those amendments and then they vote on the final bill as it stands with any changes that they made and then it's passed off to the governor for being signed into law so, and are we really just going to let it slide that there were 69 yays on a don't say gay bill? <laughs> I'm sorry, we, we're going to let that slide? We're let, okay, we're letting that slide. Okay, we're letting it slide. It is a little ironic, <laughs> to say the least. Um, so basically what the bill does is it prohibits teachers from promoting or encouraging discussions within the classroom that are related to sexual orientation or gender identity. Section three of it reads, classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties. So it's also targeting anyone that is brought in to teach those sex education classes that we all remember very fondly of sitting, at least for me, I was sitting in the gym with the rest of the guys in my grade and we just watched and it's like, this is what happens to your body as you develop. And you had to sit in two sessions. (laughs) (laughs) one was in third grade one was in fourth grade and it was this is what happens to girls and then this is what happens to you you know so it's targeting those parties as well not just school personnel but it uh prohibits any instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity within kindergarten to third grade or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards Okay, so so that's the that, that's the most controversial part of the bill. It is. Right. There's also a section that lets parents sue school districts that they believe are not complying. Well, there's there's another um, section of it, and I, I don't have it right in front of me, so I can't quote it exactly, but I believe the gist of it is that if there is any change to the way that a student is kind of being mentally or physically counseled or treated at the school, then parents have to be immediately notified. And I believe the big controversy with that is that ostensibly you could have a student who is not out to their parents, who could tell a school counselor that they are gay, and then that counselor would then immediately have to tell the parents of that child. 
which has caused, yes. I think, outcry among especially sort of like the school counselor community because now it takes sort of the judgment call of when and when not to reach out to parents out of their hands. And now they're like compelled by law to share basically everything they talk about in what should ostensibly be like a confidential meeting. Exactly, because you have to imagine if a student is going to a guidance counselor seeking guidance, perhaps even about how maybe their parents are incredibly homophobic or transphobic and they don't know how it is that they're going to be able to come out to their parents and how they're going to tell their parents. So they come to a guidance counselor seeking advice and now their guidance counselors just turn around and out them to their parents. Yeah, it's defeating the purpose of having these professionals in schools. It's very dangerous. So the, the parts that you're talking about are related to straight from the bill. Procedures must reinforce the fundamental right of parents to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children by requiring school district personnel to encourage a student to discuss issues relating to his or her well-being with his or her parent or to facilitate discussion of the issue with the parent. This is where it gets tricky. The procedures may not prohibit parents from accessing any of their students' education or health records right? And then a school district may not adopt procedures or student support forms that prohibit school district personnel from notifying a parent about his or her student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being or a change in related services or that encourage or have the effect of encouraging a student to withhold such information from their parents. So originally before this final version went from the House to the Senate, um, because I am looking at the final adopted version in the house. Uh, there was a condition in there that actually required school personnel to report any disclosure made by a student to their parents. Whether or not the school personnel had reason to believe that such a disclosure would place the student in immediate and direct threat of harm by their parent or guardian. And that was immediately latched on by the opponents of this bill, and it actually, thankfully, was removed from the bill. So that part of forced disclosure is no longer in there. The bill does prohibit the school from adopting anything that would encourage students to keep that information from their parents or restricting the school personnel from disclosing if the parent was to reach out to them and ask, you know, by saying that the procedures are supposed to facilitate those communications with their parents. And then later on in the bill, section seven is where it's saying that a parent of a student may bring legal action against school personnel to obtain a declaratory judgment, which also includes the award of damages, attorney fees, court costs, and declaratory or injunctive relief. They didn't so much strengthen the language as they said, okay, we'll strip out the primary education, but we will leave this incredibly vague section that says whatever is, you know, age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students. You know, the primary education thing was at least clear, right? It's like, okay, you cannot talk about it, period. This is like, there's this whole gray area that just causes a mess, which can have that same effect, right? Because who is the arbiter of that? Who decides what that means? Exactly. So that is the danger of even keeping that kindergarten through third grade, like you said, in the manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students without having explicit guidelines as to how that's going to be determined and who's going to determine that it actually leaves it up to the parents by the way that the bill reads because the parents are the one that can bring that lawsuit right. so then it's going to be brought before a court and guess what depending on which district you're in you're going to have a republican judge <laughs> probably i would say six seven out of ten chance just given the demographic that makes up the state so what is the real impact of this bill both on children and on teachers so i can talk about even from the teacher's perspective because i was a k-12 educator prior to this coming in and what this bill doesn't do is it does not prohibit the mention of the word gay it does not prohibit someone saying homosexuality in the school right so some of the opponents of this go really radical and say oh there can be no mention of homosexuality gay lesbian queer within the school that's not what this bill does this bill specifically targets any classroom instruction 
So there can't be clarifying conversations. So say that you have a child that enters the classroom and says, hey, I'm thinking that I might be one way, right? Um, think of a transgender student. I think I might be a trans woman. The teacher then cannot have or facilitate a conversation with that student. They have to then pass it off and they have to say, okay, well, this is a conversation that I can't have with you. This is a conversation that I encourage you to have with your parents. Um, they may, depending on what the school's policies are, pass the child off to the guidance office for them to facilitate that type of communication as far as, hey, if you're having these thoughts, then go ahead and reach out to your parents and the guidance counselor can help facilitate those communications. But the teachers and those that come in from outside, so think about art teachers, think about music teachers that are not actual employees of the district, they're contractors, because some schools have that here in Florida. Think about any of your speech language, your OT, your PT. So anyone who comes into the school that is of a instructor type role is now tied. They cannot have those conversations with children, but the children themselves are not in any danger, of course, they're minors, but it, it can be mentioned. It's just, we can't devote time to clarify things. You can't have a student that comes in and says, oh yeah, this weekend I went out with my two dads and we did this. And then someone says, why does he have two dads? Like we can't have that conversation. He just does and we move on. Based on Mason's description, that seems, doesn't sound good, but it sounds less intense than definitely some of the reporting has been. And I think for me, the, the concern is what happens then when it comes to exposing children to all the diversity that exists in the country and in the world. It's going to modify how lesson plans are developed, what kind of things can be taught in history class, what kind of things can be taught when it comes to civil rights. I mean, you can definitely forget about mentioning anything about Harvey Milk or any sort of gay rights activists. The Holocaust so and the pink triangles. Yeah, no pink triangles for the Holocaust. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that are now being very blanded out because we're only now going to teach cis history. I mean, there's even a lot of pushback against, not in this particular bill, but in the world in the world of the CRT debate, we can't even talk about a lot of black history. This is, for me, it's basically the same thing. It's just the, the critical gay theory. We're just not going to talk about it. We're just going to talk about straight people. We're, we're going to talk about cis people. And we're just going to pretend that all those other things don't exist. So it, it's really, the students are the ones paying the price because their education is not going to be as full and varied as their peers in other places. It also just seems like the ambiguity is, it's dangerous in the sense that it's, it's not just about education so much, it's like, you know, you mentioned what happens if a student comes in and says, oh, I think I'm trans or mentions that they have two dads or two moms. But I feel like you could even imagine a scenario where, okay, so what if a kid does have two dads and all of a sudden he gets picked on for having two dads? How does the teacher intervene? Do they say, no, you can't pick on this kid because he has two dads? Can they even say anything about it then? Great um, question. Right. It's more about the representation aspect when it comes to that as far as normalizing and validating a child's existence and what their family looks like, what their normal is. And by alienating those children that don't fall into the heteronormative cisgender nuclear family makeup that is demonizing them, that's demonizing their family, that is making them other, which then increases the likelihood that they're going to be bullied in school, which then leads to a whole host of problems. I'm sure it's something that Ron DeSantis doesn't even give a shit about. Can we curse on this? Yes, you can. Yeah, sure. okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, only about Ron DeSantis. Okay, yeah. great. Awesome. Uh, you know, I'm sure this is something that Ron DeSantis doesn't even, doesn't even care about. I mean, Ron DeSantis is also known as my sleep paralysis demon. Uh, Ron DeSantis, <laughs> I think, just sort of walks around. He's so obsessed with queer issues. I mean, I'm sure you've heard about his recent buffoonery with trying to get a trans girl who won a swimming competition sort of removed from the, the records, and he's going to pass a proclamation saying that someone, someone else won. Yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. Does he walk around his mansion at night just, like, pacing back and forth <laughs> in a cold sweat, just thinking about all the little queer kids and running back and forth to the refrigerator to like, get more 
water and then the, going into the bathroom and getting the getting the scissors and thinking of cutting his own bangs and he's like no I'm not going to cut my own bangs I'm going to I mean what what is what is his obsession I don't get it I, yeah and I, we'll get to this t- towards the end of the episode but what what is if like Mason said if you, you still can say gay per the bill I, I guess it's sort of a misnomer there it's just a like maybe you shouldn't say it is that like a good way to put it well it, I feel like it, it's scarier to say gay right you're liable if you say gay. It seems this kind of like what's going on. Yeah, it's right. now dangerous because you can get sued. Right. And it also has the impact of if I was still teaching, I could not represent myself in a true mm. fashion. So you have teachers that are working in the K-12 or, you know, the K-3, K-12 setting because of how vague the language is that are non-binary. They're open about their own gender expression, gender identity, or their sexual orientation because they have pictures of their family. I mean, if I was still teaching, I would not be able to have a picture of my husband and my child on my desk. And that removes the teacher from the students it removes us from real life it distances us and that can cause some issues when we're trying to have critical conversations with these students that are not related to sexual orientation or gender identity but when we're trying to get real with them of hey you're not passing my class you're not doing well in school what's going on if they don't feel like they know who we are as a person that can damage our credibility and the trust that we have with them and they clam up but it also means that i have to now go back in the closet in my workspace you know i I didn't walk around waving my pride flag you know walking in with rainbow hair every day but it was something not every day not every day not every (laughs) day on tuesday casual (laughs) it was casual friday for me um (laughs) but you know i i now have to watch my words even more I guess to kind of bring this first segment together, I mean, you you initially kind of talked down the legislation a bit, right? It was third grade instead of primary. And we talked about how that led to some ambiguity. We talked about how, you know, you can say gay, but you probably don't want to because you could be liable. If anything, all of this ambiguity in the bill almost makes it worse, as, as I guess what I'm trying to like get to at the end of this segment, because you just said like, you don't know. Could you do that? That's, that's the worst, because who's the one interpreting that? It's the teachers. Right. So this is kind of where our legal process comes into play a little bit, right? So our legislation tasked with creating laws, our executive branch tasked with enforcing laws, our judicial branch is tasked with interpreting our laws and the application of the laws to various scenarios that come before them. So given that this law is so ambiguous, we're not going to have a true test of it until there's a lawsuit brought before some judge in the state and it works its way up. Yeah. Right. And depending on how that case goes if it does reach the the highest court once we reach the highest court in the state that's when it's going to have the trickle down effect within other jurisdictions but until we get there it's going to be kind of free for all among all the counties and god Uh, forbid it goes to the u.s supreme court because you know it's just doing swimmingly right now (laughs) well we will move on to the next kind of piece of this story after our commercial break it is bracket season, and to celebrate, The Post Rider is a brand new podcast that'll do for political junkies what the NCAA tournament does for sports fans. That's right, everyone. It's called Floor Fight, and each season we'll be creating a bracket that pits political figures and topics against each other until we end up with an ultimate winner. It's like a contested convention if a contested convention was held between two guys in a Google Hangout with too much time on their hands. For our first season, we seeded 72 losing presidential candidates for a tournament of the also-ran so we can finally answer the question, who was the greatest president we never had? It's the perfect show for anyone who ever wondered what would happen if Dewey really did defeat Truman, or if Palm Beach County didn't use a butterfly belt in 2000. And the best part is you can check now at thepostwriter.com slash floorfight. See every candidate, who they'll match off against the plane and first rounds, and let us know on Twitter, at the Rider who you think should win. And if those references to Dewey and Truman and Palm Beach County meant anything to you, then subscribe to Floor Fight. It's available everywhere you can find podcasts and, of course, on thepostwriter.com. And we're back. So... Let's back off from the nitty gritty of the law for a bit and discuss kind of how it came to pass. It's obviously received 
a ton of national attention. Um, there was an intense lobbying effort to stop it, but a lot of the focus has been on one of the largest employers in Florida, and that is the Disney Corporation. Here is a brief timeline of what happened with this bill and Disney. And please jump in if I get anything wrong here. Basically, the bill starts to make its way through the Florida legislature starting in January of this year. It, it passes the Florida State House at the end of February. On March 7th, Disney CEO Bob Chappick issues an internal statement saying that the company would not take a public stance on the bill. This prompts backlash and revelations that Disney often removed references to homosexuality and other LGBTQ themes from Pixar projects over the last few decades. It then passes the Florida State Senate the next day, March 8th. Uh, then it comes out that Disney has given political donations to many of the lawmakers behind the bill. There's increased furor from Disney employees, supporters, etc. Then Chappick comes out on March 9th and says Disney opposes the bill and will address their concerns to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He also pledges $5 million to organizations advocating for LGBTQ rights, such as the Human Rights Campaign, who refuses the donation. Mm, God, I love that. <laughs> uh, I wish I were, you know, powerful enough to be offered, you know, millions of dollars and be like, I don't, not from you. <laughs> don't need you it. Take, yeah, yeah. You could take it and shove it. Yeah. On March 11th, Chappick formally apologizes to Disney's employees and pledges to stop and reevaluate campaign donations. And then on March 28th, like we said, Ron DeSantis signed the bill into law. So I'll, I'll, let's go from the top. Does anyone think Disney did a good job with all of this? No. Hell to the no. <laughs> Just wah, checking. Wah. And to me, as you sort of go through that, to me, it's so apparent that these decisions were being made not on a moral basis, but on a publicity basis. Right. And that disgusts me, to be honest. That's Disney. (laughs) (laughs) That that you have, I mean, I don't know how many queer people work at Disney, but I have a feeling it's quite a lot. It's a lot. Uh, (laughs) It's a lot. And the fact that you, as a CEO, know that you employ a significant population within your ranks that are from this community, and you're just going to say, uh, yeah, whatever. We're, I'm just going to put out some bullshit publicity statement only after getting caught, which is always a great way to know of like, oh, I wonder if they really do care about this. Oh, the reports come <laughs> out. Oh, they've been donating all this money to these people. Oh, shit, 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 shit. Yes, we, uh, we're, um, we, we don't stand with that bill. Oh, how brave of you to come out the day after that report. Yeah, I, I was listening to uh, Derek Thompson's Plain English podcast where they were talking about the Dose Gay Bill and then the Disney fallout. And they interviewed this guy, Matt Bellamy, who's done like a lot of Disney reporting. And he was saying that basically what happened was, so Bob Chapek, he replaced Bob Iger, who was like a big Democratic donor, actually wanted to run for president, like for the Democratic nomination in 2020, but then decided not to. And Chapek came in with like a clear political neutrality policy was like we're we are not going to take a stand on anything and it's a clear like thing of like in trying to make everybody happy they made nobody happy right because it's like we're not going to offend anybody by taking any position whatever and we'll be okay right because how can you get mad at me for inaction but then that's exactly <laughs> what happened right and rightfully so it just comes off very very bad and apparently there are rumors that that, that chapex contract will not even be renewed when it's up for renewal in like november or something so mm-hmm. i think it, it went poorly for pretty much everybody involved well i would say two things one oh poor guy <laughs> <laughs> not really uh and secondly i mean yeah, yeah they won't get mad at me for for inaction yeah i'm gonna we're, can we be pretentious is pretension allowed on this podcast it's encouraged yes. <laughs> okay great so the archbishop desmond tutu has this wonderful uh, quote that he's very famous for which is those who remain neutral in times of injustice have chosen the side of the oppressor and he uses this fabulous ex- uh, illustration of if you walk by and you see an elephant who has its foot on the tail of a mouse and the mouse looks at you for help and you say, uh, sorry, I'm, 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 not, I'm not getting involved. You've chosen the side of the elephant. Your neutrality will not be viewed kindly by the mouse. And that is the moral fiber that Mr. Chapik is missing. That's, that's how I feel about people who don't vote. It's like, okay, so you're just agreeing to leave the, the incumbent in power if you do not vote. But whatever. Lars, you are, you're singing my song. We're, we're a pro-voting podcast here. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd hate to hear a, a politics podcast that's against voting. I think that'd be kind of... Be like anarchist pod. I'm sure it's out yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they probably exist. Um, I, I, I'm sure like rule 34 applies to that in some tangential way. 
I really like what you said to Michael about how he really just alienated everyone. Because at this point, who is happy with him? It's not Republicans, because now he's like really trying to pretend he didn't do all these things and you know, saying, oh, I'm talking to DeSantis and we will lobby vigorously against it. I can't imagine the LGBTQ community is like forgiving him. Who is happy with him right now? I don't know. L- I mean, literally, literally nobody. Yeah, literally nobody. I mean, they had employee walkouts at Disney here in Florida that virtually shut down one of the parks at one point. There were reports of guests complaining very loudly, saying that they couldn't get service at some of the areas that they were wanting to purchase things, get food. I mean, big issue. There have been plans of continued walkouts as well because employees want to be represented by their company in a way that represents their demographic and their employee base. Because it's not only the queer employees of Disney, but it's also their allies as well. I'm sure it's not only the queer employees getting up and walking out, but it's all the people that they work with, that that, that they love and care about and consider themselves to be allied to this community. And they're not going to stand there and just let this tomfoolery and shenanigans continue. Mason or Zach, can either of you give me like I'm I'm not like a big Disney buff, but is there like a a quick version of like Disney's history on LGBT issues over the last hundred years? You have come to the right queers. Uh, okay, okay, you have. <laughs> Uh, so we will split this real quick. So okay. I, I will take the Disney like social aspect and the employee experience part. And then I'll hand off to Zach and he will take the media side, the entertainment representation side, right? Yeah. So just brief Disney history. So there's been a total of six Disney CEOs since the inception of Walt Disney World. I started with Roy Disney, went to Don Tatum, Walker, Ron Miller, Eisner, Iger, and now Chapek, right? For all of our lifetimes, we have only now had three soon to be four if JPEG is not renewed. And that's a shit ton of money that he's losing. So I hope he really is reevaluating his life and his decisions. But Eisner started in choices. Eisner started in 1984 and continued on through 2005. And that's really important because it was in 1990 that employees within Walt Disney in Florida and in their home base of California first started lobbying for recognition of same-sex domestic partnerships and therefore having benefits granted to them. So up until this point from like 1929 when Disney was created and established by Walt all the way up until 1990 there was no recognition which I mean going through the early history of Disney as far as you know 1929 going through the Great Depression the 40s 50s you know we don't expect any representation or recognition at that point but going through the AIDS epidemic during the height of it in 1990 is when people started saying hey we need representation you're hiring us we need you to pass on benefits and the big reason for that is because at that time we did not have marriage equality so all of the straight couples were able to get married have those benefits afforded to them through traditional means and then all the queer employees were like our partners need coverage our children need coverage and so there was a push for that it took three years for this debate to start happening internally and then it took another three years until january 1st in 1996 for them to actually start recognizing same-sex domestic partnerships so in 96 that's when they started affording benefits specifically healthcare benefits to domestic partners of same-sex couples in 1991 we had first gay days at disney so gay days was created here in orlando florida it was first called wear red day so basically what happened is 3,000 guests coordinated themselves to wear red shirts into the disney parks specifically into the magic kingdom was where they were all going to be meeting up and they had a day of visibility so that's how they were to recognize each other and celebrate gay days at disney this has never been 
supported by Disney. Disney had no hand in the development of this, had no hand in any of the promotions. In the beginning, they actually came out and said, we do not support this. This is an event that is happening beyond us. And they just kind of turned a blind eye to it happening. There was a lot of right-wing conservative groups, specifically religious groups that were protesting this event. Even on the first day that it happened, they had almost like a picket line-esque scenario happening there at Disney. But Disney kind of did what they did this past month of we're, we're neutral, we're not going to say anything, we're not going to do anything, right? While still supporting same-sex couples within Disney by entertaining conversations, you know? And this went on for decade and a half with gay days before Disney actually started producing their pride pin, which first was a Mickey head with a rainbow coloring so rainbow pride flag across it they have since come out with a few more iterations of pride but that's as far as they've gone they still don't actively support gay days they have no hand in the planning of that and what's interesting with disney is that they're not just having to defend themselves against the legislation that's happening here in florida there's 38 states that have introduced anti-queer anti-trans and anti-gay bills within the first three months of this year so between january and the end of this month there's been 38 states that have introduced bills directed at curtailing any type of support you know we can look at texas tennessee specifically was mentioned with disney because they have uh, radio disney and espn which they own they have radio station in nashville and tennessee has put out some very dangerous legislation and disney's being called on to come out publicly against that and it's kind of the same scenario that we're having here in florida they're not coming out in the strongest ways so they have a very sordid past with our social aspects and their employees and when it comes to their role in media television films and such uh, it's also a sordid past so i think we could probably all remember in recent history there's been a lot of news of oh disney's gonna do these live action remakes and they're gonna have the first gay character <laughs> and, <they> mix, <laughs> and it makes all this like hullabaloo and hubbub and then we actually see the final product and it's like are you fucking kidding me so lefou as you mentioned first of all lefou literal translation the fool which is the sort of stereotype that a lot of gay people are are portrayed as in in, in media as like sort of the silly vamped fool so the food which Pining was terrible after the like hunky hunk of whatever yes. storyline right so it's not only yeah. just a fool but it's just like oh we want him you know mm -hmm. and even josh gad who played lefou has come out recently and said like yeah sorry guys that um yeah, that that was that wasn't great. My my, my bad. My, my my bad guys. Uh, which no no fault of his. You know, he was just he was playing the role he was given. So LeFou was the the first one, and then recently we had Jungle Cruise, where the main character's brother is gay, except the word gay is never mentioned, not once. It's like just Florida, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so that's not really the greatest representation. Also, the scene was written in such a way that that scene could easily be cut out later, and you're not going to lose any storyline uh, and then in Cruella though again there was another queer character that was uh, that was featured except the again not explicitly mentioned as being queer in any way so the live action remakes have not been doing great and when you think about Disney because Disney is this monolith of a company you really have to sort of think of two very different things so one is the sort of classic Disney films uh, and their live action remakes and the other is the Marvel Cinematic Universe which is now officially under Disney Marvel has also had its own sordid history with gay representation which has not been that great but because Disney acquired Marvel in 2009 but then sort of really got more involved in 2015 when they did some corporate restructuring and they sort of brought uh, Disney Studios directly under the Walt Disney Company as opposed to it being under Marvel Entertainment, which was its own company. So they brought it to be a direct subsidiary of themselves. And that's when they started getting more involved. And Kevin Feige, who nerds out there might have heard that name, who was been the studio head for Marvel Studios since its inception, he was then part of another reorganization that happened just in March of 2019, where he was 
upgraded to the title of chief creative officer. And ever since Kevin Feige took on that role of chief creative officer, I will say that things have gotten a smidge better. I'm going to hold out a little hope that things are going to continue to get better. But whenever he did, we did get the first mention of a gay character in a Marvel film, which was an Endgame. Well, when one of the Russos. It yeah, was one right? of the directors, yeah, yeah. which is <laughs> yeah. problematic. The fact that it was a really a glorified director's cameo played right. by a straight man. But you know that. what? It's the biggest movie in, in history. And there's clearly a gay character right there. So I'm going to, we'll take that as a small win. And then shortly after, after that the Loki series came out and Loki was confirmed to be bisexual which is great and then we had the Eternals come out and the Eternals is, I think is probably their boldest attempt at giving some real representation with the character of Fastos and if you have not seen the film the entire Fastos storyline I think is one of the most beautiful storylines of the movie the story between he and his husband and this sort of struggle of do I leave my husband and my child to try and go do this big thing where I may die as a result of it, but we could be successful and save the world. It's a beautiful story. There is a gay kiss, and it is so romantic and beautiful and heartbreaking. However, it should be noted that uh, the film was not released in Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Qatar, Bahrain, or Oman because of the gay kiss. But I believe to Disney for this one, lots of countries said, can you just edit that scene out? And they said no. They said they weren't going to edit it out. So I think maybe, at least on the Marvel side of things, things are changing. Things are getting better. We've got several queer characters coming up in future streaming series on Disney Plus and in films. Valkyrie, who's part of the Thor cast of characters. Valkyrie is going to be coming out as a queer character in the next Thor Love and Thunder, which is out this summer. Uh, America Chavez, also known as Miss America, is going to be in Multiverse of Madness, and she's a queer character as well. So I think things are things are changing for the better, and hopefully the representation just continues to improve. It's uh, too bad it had to happen in Eternals, which is you know, not the best Marvel movie. It had its problems. It had, it had some, some plot issues. It did. You know what? Tangent, because I did go to film school, so I have to plug this one thing. I do think it is probably the most beautiful Marvel film, strictly speaking of cinematography. It, I think it's probably the most beautiful because they really did go to all those places. There's very little blue screen set happening, which is sort of the downside of Marvel, and everything is very shot on the studio behind a blue screen. But they really did go to all those places, because Chloe Zhao is just a master of those location shots. They went to space? How? <laughs> <laughs> the big thing when it came out, right, is Kevin Feige was like, oh yeah, I didn't, I forgot you could shoot on location, because we do it all in studio. <laughs> and Chloe Zhao was like, yeah, that's what I do for all my movies. <laughs> He's like, have you seen Nomadland? Gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Thank you. That was a great in-depth history of everything Disney related to LGBTQ issues. You guys are great. Um, we all agreed Disney's response, not good. What should Disney do? Like, what, if you are, are the CEO of Disney right now, what do you do? Oh, you don't want to ask that. <laughs> if, I mean, if, I was sitting at the, if I was sitting at the big mahogany desk and I had the pen and the checkbook. In the castle, yeah. It, oh, yeah. In the castle up at the very top. I love turrets. There's nothing like a turret, you know. <laughs> I mean, I would be doing some serious check writing. I would be doing some serious conversations with local legislatures. And I would even call my sleep paralysis demon, Ron DeSantis, and say, uh, look, we're, we're going to start giving you some consequences. We're going to start looking at really bankrolling other political candidates. We're going to look at making some very public statements about where we as Disney as a corporation stand. We're going to start making these changes at our parks, these changes in our, our filmmaking uh, ventures. We're going to have our castmates start doing these things. Like I would just, I would go bold because to me, this is one of those times where you can't stay neutral. You cannot be a Ronald Reagan in the 80s at the time of the AIDS crisis and just sit there and say nothing. You can't do it. That's really true. And I mean, DeSantis has gone after Disney as well because of this. So after Chapek came out, DeSantis first came out with his press secretary and said, we haven't heard hide nor hair from Disney. Like they, they have not said anything to us about this legislation. And then JPEC came out and said, okay, yeah, well, so about that, um, going forward, we're not going to be supporting any of the candidates and we are not going to be furthering our donations. What I will say about what Disney does historically and up until this point, hopefully it will change in the future, is that they donate across the board 
So they don't care if you are Democrat, Republican, they're throwing money at you. They've always tried to be that neutral space when it comes to social policies. They don't like to put their foot out there and really put their name on the line, especially when you're looking at local politics. The danger right now for Chapek is how far is he willing to push DeSantis? Because DeSantis is in an environment where he can pretty much do what he wants because we have a Republican-controlled legislature in Florida and a Republican-controlled Supreme Court here in Florida as well. So anything that he does basically already has the signed approval from the bodies that be that he needs to kind of check himself with, right? Because of that whole checks and balance situation. But yeah, there are real consequences that Disney could face the one caveat to that is that DeSantis cannot specifically target Disney. Specifically, he would have to target large companies across the state. And I think that that will be Disney's saving grace if they want to push DeSantis. Let's move into the, the last segment now that DeSantis's name has been uttered enough times that he's he's appeared. Um, <laughs> Do we have to get him to spell his last name backwards <laughs> right. so he can disappear? I, I wish. What's, what's DeSantis's endgame here? He wants to win re-election first. I guess, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I think he wants to win re-election. I think he wants to put his name on the national stage because while Florida does hold a very important position electorally, that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's heard his name. And I think he wants to put his name on every conservative frequency so that the base will hear him, know who he is, know that he's buddy-buddy with Trump. If I like Trump, then I should therefore like DeSantis because he is going to run for president. I know this isn't the, the Running Mates podcast. No, we talk about um, that here too okay great well <laughs> he, he is going to run for president for sure uh it, it, either as trump's running mate in 2024 which i think is a, a likely possibility because i don't know if you've heard but pence and trump are not so much friends anymore <laughs> even though pence every time he does an interview says oh no we still talk we have conversations <laughs> and we're, we're still great pence no one's believing you okay but he, so he's going to run again in 2024 as as Trump's running mate, or just by himself in 2024 then. So yeah, he, he wants to he wants the power, for sure. Yeah, I also think that if there is an event, like I, I don't think it's impossible that he ends up running against Trump in a primary, because I think you're right, push comes to shove, that's probably like the likely Republican ticket is Trump-DeSantis, but in the event they do run against each other, DeSantis will be able to hold up the rainbow flag, make America great again, hats and masks that the Trump campaign sold and point to it and say, hey, you know who's not going to be selling rainbow flag merchandise? Me. And you know how you know I'll never do that? Look at all this legislation I signed, right? He's going to kind of like try and drive that wedge, I think, between him and Trump, but then also just kind of other Republicans who he'll be able to accuse of being kind of like soft on this issue. Soft on the gays. No one wants to be <laughs> soft on the gays. I mean, it's kind of ironic. He is certainly drumming up a lot of attention, which we are now giving him by having done this whole episode. Was and that, that's that's his thing. He yeah. wants the attention, just like mm -hmm. Zach was saying. I mean, putting his foot in the NCAA swimming competition and signing the proclamation that, you know, stated that the girl that placed second in that competition is the Florida recognized national nationally you know, fastest swimmer in the competition. That had nothing to do with Florida. He extended the powers of the proclamation, which by the way, has no powers to really begin with. Proclamations are just meant as a commemorative, like it's gubernatorial fluff. Right. Yeah, it's basically what you would put out as a governor when you're giving someone like the this is your day. This is like the Trump day of the year. Trump holiday in Florida, whatever. Um, so it has no teeth to it, but the fact that he's putting himself out there into things that are not in Florida's sphere just showcases that he wants that recognition. He wants his name on everybody's lips and he's gunning for that presidency, which is really scary. He's pandering. So we'll, yeah. we'll stop giving him attention. We'll pull back from DeSantis and to perhaps a darker question is there the three core provisions of this bill we've mentioned. Right, there's the ban on the teaching of sexual orientation and gender identity from kindergarten through third grade, and there's the limiting lessons on sexual orientation and gender identity after third grade to be age appropriate. Those provisions both have majority support nationally. The only major provision that does not is the, the one allowing parents to sue. 
Is there some disconnect between what the law does or says in public opinion? What are we missing? Why is the majority of the country behind parts of this bill? It's because of how it's being promoted out in the conservative sphere. So I, gosh, I really don't know where they're getting the like the majority of voters. I'm always skeptical. I am, I am definitely a poll skeptic <laughs> yeah. uh, when it comes to things, right? So the way that's being promoted within the conservative sphere is that teachers are grooming students in kindergarten up to third grade for future queerness. I, I don't even know what, what we would be grooming these children for, to be honest. I mean, there, there's been some really crazy things out there of like grooming them for future relationships, grooming them for just, oh, you, you are trans, like kind of like hypnotizing them, like, look over here, like believe that you are trans or whatever, which goes against what we actually do as far as a queer community. And I was just having this conversation with my husband yesterday, I think it was, where we don't actively go out and seek out opportunities to force queerness or anything on other people, right? The only time that you see our names come up in legislation or in the news is when there's a lawsuit or a injustice that has happened. We are very reaction oriented when it comes to our approach as a community, generally speaking, whereas what DeSantis and the conservatives are doing is very proactive. They're creating issues where issues don't exist. There was never an issue of trans women in the bathrooms until they made it that way right there was never an issue of trans students in sports until someone stood up and said i have a problem with this yeah i think that that's where the disconnect is is that people think that there are issues when there aren't issues the issues are being fabricated well what he's doing is he would say that he's providing solutions to problems and he's not because you're like you said there there's not a problem but what he's doing is actually just providing solutions to different problems. It's like voter ID. Oh, we're going to institute all these laws to have voter ID laws because we're going to try to solve this problem of voter fraud. Okay, well, the fraud's not the problem. The problem is black and brown folks are voting and you don't like that. So you're going to institute a voter ID law to disproportionately impact them. So it's the same thing here. Like we're not, he's, he's not actually trying to solve the problem of protecting people. He's just trying to pander to the base and so that he can be the mouthpiece of this sort of anti-gay, anti-queer bullshit to rile up the crowd. I, I would chime in also on like the skepticism of that polling because it's one of those things where you can't really phrase it. It's not, yeah. do you like Ron DeSantis? Yes or no. It's like, here is sort of like a sentence long description of a thing. How are you going to interpret this and think about it, right? If you say people's like, hey, do you think kids K through three should be taught about sexual topics? Most people will probably hear that. They'll hear the word sex K through three and then say no. If you say, hey, do you think that you should be able to sue a teacher if they talk about their same sex spouse? Most people, maybe, maybe I'm being optimistic. I would say lots of people at least are going to say, no, that's kind of messed up. We shouldn't be doing that, right? I think it's one of those things where it's very easy, like especially in polling, to phrase it in such of a way that people don't actually understand what's going on. Yeah, you make it a push poll. Yeah. yeah. The poll is legitimate. I mean, this is like a morning consult Politico poll with like 2,000 voters, and you should never trust any one poll, but I, I brought it up just because I thought it was interesting. And, and the question they asked, and this goes back to the, you know, the very first thing we talked about, right? They said, should we be able to limit lessons on gender identity and sexual orientation to age-appropriate discussions? That's a pretty open-ended question. And so, yeah, 52% of people said, yeah. Yeah, because what are they going to say? No, right. I think we should have non-age-appropriate discussions with my children, right? right? It's... Right. And, I, and I think that that's it is, okay, age-appropriate discussions, what exactly does that mean, right? Yeah. So are we talking about discussions of sexual orientation and gender identity as far as, like, these exist in the world? Or are we talking about deep dives into queer theory and identity theory and those type of topics that are not appropriate to teach a kindergarten or a third grader because they can't fucking read yet right <laughs> like they, they they're still trying to grab onto the dog walks me that is not right right we're, we're still trying to work on prepositions and like structure of a basic sentence here people so yeah it's just 
that that's where I get with polls. I'm like, okay, so let's talk about questions. Let's talk about perceived <laughs> meanings, mm. implicit meanings. Well, again, it's it's not even it's not trying to protect children from having conversations about gender identity and sexual orientation. It's only trying to protect children from conversations about gender identity and sexual orientations that are different than cisgender and straight. Because whenever you're having your third grade lesson about how George Washington chopped down the cherry tree, which actually is not even a real story, something yeah. we made up. I think it was Washington Irving who made that up. Whenever we talk about that, we say, oh, and he, you know, his wife was uh, Martha Washington, and these were her contributions. Okay, well, now you've just identified George Washington as a man who's married to a woman. Is that not discussing gender identity and sexual orientation? Oh, no, they're fine with that because it's talking about street people. It's just we don't want to mention the queers. I feel like the, a big lesson I've, I've gleaned from this episode is if you're going to write legislation, whether it be good or evil, please write it like non-ambiguously. Be just very clear. Cause this I mean, is I would like for you to lot. not write evil legislation. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm game for that too. But if you're going to write it, yeah, be specific, <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. We will quickly wrap up our episode with our In Our Lifetime segment for this week kind of loosely related. So a Fortune 500 CEO has never once gone from the boardroom to the White House, but that's not to say that there aren't some aspiring CEO politicians. In our lifetime, will a Fortune 500 CEO become president? I like how we have literally had like a CEO go to the White House and it was not a Fortune 500 one and it makes that particularly former CEO very angry. Do I think that's ever going to happen? I In your lifetime, Mike, I don't know. Okay, in in my lifetime. So if I live to be 127, (laughs) is it... I'm going to say no because... If even if you want to look at Trump as a president, there's just there was just too much like baked in weirdness and like name recognition for a Bob Iger or um, a Howard Schultz to be successful. I, I just I just don't think it's it's gonna happen. Okay, Mason, I'll go to you because you're next on my screen. I see that happening in my lifetime actually because of what trump did and because of how he began his campaign of i'm not a politician i'm a businessman mind you he had (laughs) just a few bankruptcies and failures and businesses that he ran into the ground internationally i'm looking at a list here that is two four six eight ten twelve over twenty business failures so i yeah definitely don't count him as a ceo going straight to the president because i feel like he had to be successful in order to be considered a ceo at a certain level but (laughs) yeah i think that he paved the way for businessmen to throw their names and hats into the ring okay zachary yes i think it will happen okay and I think that because it's already been tried several times, I mean, before Trump, we had our former governor, Mitt Romney. Was he actually CEO of Bain Capital? He was the first and last CEO of Bain Capital. Okay. So, and, you know, and he got all the way to the top of the ticket. Uh, Carly Fiorina, who ran in 2016, yeah. uh, was the former CEO of Hewlett Packard. So I think for sure, and I think it will be on the Republican side, even though I would not put it past the Democrats to try to run someone, even though I think that would be terrible. It would not. It would be very non-progressive of Democrats to try to run a, a Fortune 500 CEO. But I mean, the Democrats, who the hell knows what's happening with them? They probably would try it anyway. You guys make a good case, but I, I think I'm going to agree with Mike. So many have tried, but none have succeeded. Like Ross Perot, too, right? So I guess we're a split podcast on this one. Two yeses and two noes. But we will end with that. Thank you for listening, everyone. First of all, go follow at with a gay twist on Twitter. They're great. You guys want to plug anything while we wrap up? I think you just did it. You're welcome. Yeah, you can find <laughs> us at www.withagaytwist.com. There you go. And of course, you can also reach out to us on Twitter where you can find and follow us at the Postwriter or email us at contact at thepostwriter.com. We like hearing from you, so come chat with us or suggest some topics for us to talk about next. We're a podcast brought to you by thepostwriter.com and you can check out stuff we work on, things we've written, our other podcasts, and more over there. Thanks to Mike and special thanks to both Mason and Zach for joining. It was great to have you all. Super happy to be here. Thank you so much. It was great. We had a gay old time. All right. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time on Politics Express.